Knock, knock. Who's there? Sawin. Sawin who? So when are you going to start the show already, huh? <laughs> it's National Knock Knock Joke Day on the Webscape. Hi, I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you are listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Hi, I'm Mary McGinley. And hi, I'm Robin Renee. Uh, so I actually want to start our, our real show uh, with uh, some corrections from last week's show. Uh, when Mary and I were talking about Sophie's Choice, we were actually both right. Yay. I went and looked it up because... Not only were the two guys one of the choices, uh, Meryl Streep was in the movie, and she did have to choose between which of her kids was going to survive the Nazis. But that was the only thing I remember from that film. I remember none of the boyfriend stuff. Oh, I guess I was so distracted by Kevin Klein that I remembered none of the child stuff. <laughs> I mean, that's, I find that really fascinating about what we remembered from watching the same movie. Mm-hmm. It was, I found and I it did to be, remember Meryl Streep, too. Yeah, so, so yeah, but she was the Polish woman who had to choose yeah. about her kids. And that, that was, was I thought, what the choice me. was. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always thought the choice was about the two guys. Wow. You, it's like you blacked out the bad stuff and I blacked out the good stuff. I wonder what that says about us. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, and, that, and the Prunella Scales movie that I was getting completely confused with was called Hobson's Choice, not Sophie's Choice. Um, and you were right. The movie was made um, in the mid-'50s, uh, but it was a remake of a 1934 film, which I think I had also seen. So I don't know. Uh. Uh, but uh, and then the last bit of trivia I'm going to say about any of this is uh, Hobson's Choice was adapted for Broadway as Walking Happy, and my mom took me to see that in the '60s, and I remember wow. that very much. So I never heard of that one. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like a really. It didn't last. Uh, you know, it's not one of those ones that got revived or lasted more than a couple of years on Broadway, but. Um, I remember it. I remember the songs from, well, some of the songs from it. And I, and I think I followed, like the lead actor had a, a part in a sitcom a few years later, which I watched because I'd seen him on stage. You know, I'll do that. I'll follow actors' careers. What was the sitcom? I don't remember. Uh-oh. <laughs> a long time ago. That's um, memorable. <laughs> I know. And I don't remember who the actor was either. So there you go. Oh, boy. <laughs> but uh Tune in it, next week and we'll have the answers to that. No, no we won't. <laughs> no. <laughs> um but besides National Knock Knock Joke Day, uh what else is happening today and this week? So happy Halloween everybody. I just want to also give a shout out to there's a couple days that sort of relate to Halloween. It's National Magic Day also. And it is 
uh, increase your psychic powers day. Mm. Um, so that seems to all make sense. We also celebrate the holiday of Samhain, which we'll be talking about a little bit more today, and that really um, coincides with those sentiments. It is also Girl Scout Founders Day, uh, Lead Poisoning Prevention Week, that is important, Respiratory Care Week, and especially I want to say uh, happy fatherhood to one of our avid listeners, John Todd. Uh, John and his wife, Stephanie Gottesman, just had a baby, um, I believe, on October 18th. So welcome to Earth, Morgan Emily, and <laughs> congratulations. Yes, congratulations, and yes, welcome congratulations. to the two years of no sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Mazel tov. On this day, in 1926, Harry Houdini died of appendicitis. Now, I know that they put in the movie, it was very dramatic, where the kid punches him in the, in the um, stomach in the dressing room, and then he goes and does his trick, and then he dies in the water chamber, but not sure if that really was the real way, but we know appendicitis. And he, anyway, though, the other thing, too, was Harry Houdini had said that uh, when he died, he was going to come back on Halloween so that his friends, if there was any way to come back, he would. So his friends always held seances on, on Halloween, although he was big debunker of seances. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I know stuff about Harry Houdini, yeah, having been in magic and all. Um, I like that trivia. That's good. Uh, 2011, day of 7 billion. Wow. The world population reached 7 billion people in, on this day in 2011. And in 1984, Indira Gandhi was assassinated. I didn't yep. realize that. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Um, let's see. In 1992, Pope John Paul II acknowledged the errors committed by the Catholic Church while dealing with Galileo. Uh, I don't know how to say his last name. Galilee. Galilei. Yeah. Uh, in the 17th century. I didn't know that they ever admitted that. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's great. They, in 90, yeah, it's, I think that Pope started few of the apologizings that the Catholic Church has been doing like too little too late in recent yeah. years. But so actually acknowledging that science exists. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that they were mean to Galileo. <laughs> yeah. Okay, nineteen ninety nine, Egypt Air Flight nine ninety crashed off the eastern coast of the United States, killing all two hundred and seventeen people aboard. Oh, that's sad. Let's hear about birthdays. Yeah. So um, I will say happy birthday to people, some of the people who are born on this day. Uh, Peter Jackson, Ethel Waters, Al Paxton, John Candy, Michael Landon, Dermot Mulrooney, David Ogden Stiers, Neil Stevenson, who's the author of Snow Crash, among other cyberpunk novels, who I like reading, uh, Johannes Vermeer, Bernard Edwards, who was the co-founder and bassist for Chic, and Willow Smith, who's the who's a singer and the daughter of Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith. Happy 18th, and also Piper Parabo. And I Piper believe Parabo. Mary has 
a, a first-degree connection to her. <laughs> oh, yeah, Piper Parabo, in case you don't know who she is, she's the actress who was in Coyote Ugly, and and she had a TV show on, uh, was it Covert Affairs? Yeah. yeah, yeah. My husband always notices her and says her name <laughs> in a funny voice whenever he sees her on TV. So yeah. I think I think he thinks she's hot. Well, <laughs> my story about her is not that she's hot. It's just that she's nice because oh. I met I met her when she just came out of college and she auditioned for me. I was there was a New Jersey theater company, professional theater company, was doing a production. Uh, Arms and the Men by George Bernard Shaw and uh, she auditioned for me and she was so good that I wanted to use her and the producer was saying well she's kind of young don't we want to get a more experience and I said she's just the right age for the part because the girl is supposed to be 23 but she looks like she's a teenager and so she looked pretty much the way she does she looked uh, in Coyote Ugly well, I think a lot of actors, a lot of actors skew young because oh, I, I remember watching um, Superman on on uh, War, the Warner Brothers Network when it first came out, and mm-hmm. you know, and he's in high school, and I, you know, and I kind of could buy him as a high school senior, and then the next year he's still in high school, and I'm saying, wait a minute, he was supposed to be a freshman last year. There's like no way. So. Oh. So that yeah, there's yeah. always these twenty, thirty year old high school kids on television because the actors are are older, but they're well. This this was on stage, not television, so there's more leeway. There's more leeway. But I just wanted to mention to our audience, if you don't know who George Barnard Shaw is, um, people often think that he wrote wrote very intellectual things, right? But actually, this particular play was so funny and Piper was so funny that she and the other actors she had to work with, they were like Lucy and Ethel. There were gags in there that <laughs> that George Bernard Shaw wrote and he wrote in great detail what he wanted the actors to do in, in the stage direction. And they performed it perfectly. It was hilarious. So I had a really great time working with her. And as a matter of fact, too, she was so good that um, I got a friend of mine who was a, a who was an agent in New York uh, to see her, and that she went off, and then I never saw her again. So this week uh, we do have a little bit of news. It's less than a week away from election day, and if you haven't done any your early voting or you haven't mailed your ballots in, please, 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 please go to your voting place and vote on Tuesday. It is important. Our lives depend on it. This is a huge one. Absolutely. Please vote. Yeah. You know, what's striking me when I was thinking about the news of the week, what is really striking me is how very creative the Republicans are getting about how they can suppress voter turnout. You know, all the different things that they are using and they're and they're, it's obvious too that they're doing their homework and going back and studying Jim Crow laws and things like that. So, um, what they're going to do to um, well, this one thing with the college students in Georgia, and the particular uh, colleges is a mostly black college, and it's in the middle of a white district. So, so the the county clerk in there 
gives them the wrong address to send their their uh, registration to things like things wow. like that. Yeah, and um, that uh, in uh, Long Island there is uh, somebody running for Congress, and they sent out a flyer. Well, they were running for Congress two years ago, and they sent out a flyer, a mailing, and in that mailing it said that the the um, the day for voting was actually later than it was. So that Is that for the primary? Wrong... Yeah, in the primary, the wrong date. So you know, this is you know, two years ago, not the primary, uh, two years ago, for the 2016. So oh, I remember the wrong... seeing that, yeah. It gave the wrong date. So now that same guy is running again, and he did the same thing again. He gave the wrong date. He sent out a mailer giving everybody the date of November 8th. I'm assuming he gave everybody who was a registered in the other party that date because it would sort of be shooting himself in the foot if he was giving his own people that date. Well, no, actually, well, what this really has to do with is that the whole theory that um, when voters turn out in big bunches, then Democrats win, but if voters don't turn out, then the Republicans win. The Republicans are looking for a low voting total. Mm. And they don't care whether they're actually voting one way or the other. They just want as few people voting mm. as possible. That's a freaky strategy. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, and there was this other thing um, that a group, and they never identified themselves. It was interesting that they didn't do this. They put up billboards in black neighborhoods, in cities, in Ohio, and all, all around the country, these billboards that had a big, like, judge's gavel, and it was saying, voter fraud is a fine of $10,000, and you will be caught. And it was kind of scary, this sign is scary, to just intimidate people so that they, they won't even show up to vote. I saw that on Maddow. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. And it made yeah, me think, like, well, if, you, if you're if you registered to vote, then you should be fine. But I can understand that when you see this, like, big, scary intimidation thing, a lot of people would be like, yeah, but what if something goes, what if I don't have my name or something goes wrong and I'm in trouble? You know, there could be a reason, there could be, like, a psychological way of just getting people oh, not yeah. to bother, you know? Yeah, especially if Well, that and, getting... and stopping that bus full of... of black voters in Atlanta. Oh, the, the senior citizens? Yeah, the ones they were going to do early voting and then they made them, you know, get off the bus. I mean, they did reschedule it and I think they actually were able to go vote. But, it, you know, like, let's let's make this as hard as possible for everybody. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <sighs> Any other news? I see something no. about the... Which is doing uh, doing a hex on Kavanaugh? <laughs> yeah, the the exorcist priest. Um, yeah, they did it. I thought it was like last Saturday or something like that. Okay, but it's just funny to me that they're they're taking this so seriously, and well, they should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I'm more of a fan of of 
I don't know, binding than hexing, but I can understand the, uh, I can understand it, you know, just like wanting to stop the, um, the dynamic, the dynamic of, of so much, uh, just dishonesty and pain that's being caused to people and creating something. But it is very funny that, um, there's like a counter, counterbalancing exorcism going on. Well, it's not really even an exorcism. Um, it, it, according to the article, prayer. it's like they're, they're, doing it, they're doing it during their normal mass. They're adding him to the list of people to pray for. Um, and the hex, which happened on the 20th, which seems to be the wrong time of the month to do it anyway because the moon is, is waxing, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know when you do hexes. Do you do it during the waxing moon or the waning moon? Um, no, I don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I, it's but uh, but Dakota Braciali, who is the the witch who's organized the thing, um, said that the purpose of the ritual was to fight against evil, not for it. And mm-hmm. um, and it's not just against Kavanaugh. It's supposed to exact revenge on all rapists and the patriarchy at large, which emboldens, rewards, and protects them. Mm. So mm-hmm. that's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. So yeah. Um, well, how do we feel about this? How do we feel about what? <laughs> about this, about about um, war being, uh, you know, it's like a war on another plane. Yeah, but that goes on anyway. I mean, people have been have been. Uh, don't people you remember? Are praying for their side in one way. Don't you remember there was uh, like a guy, a couple who were supposedly. Um, you know, shielding our president from all of the evil mojo being thrown at him from everywhere. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of in stuff 2016, like that and then apparently they got very ill, or I don't even know. I, it's just <laughs> yeah. but yeah, there's certainly you know, there's people. Yes, there's there's the there's the war going on on other planes that that are trying to affect the physical world. And I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, I have to say I feel um, I feel uncomfortable about witchcraft being in the news. In like it's always in a weird, sensational way, and often being equated with evil because it's yeah. coming from a perspective of people who that's their only understanding of it. So it's um, it's just concerning to me when it shows up in that way. But yeah, it's. But it always shows up in that way, and especially around Halloween. Right, right. You know, I mean, and it kind of blows my mind because everything I've been reading, for example, about the Satanic Temple, it's like, these guys are so amazing. (laughs) It's like whenever somebody wants to put up uh, a Ten Commandments statue, they will, right next to that Ten Commandments, they'll put up a statue of Bathymus. You know? Right. Well, they're more they're they're political activists more than yeah. Than and I church, I love what they is cool actually. I love yeah. that. I love yeah. that because it you know because if because if the Christians do this wedge issue thing where they get prayer in school or or religious teaching in school, the Satanists are right there with their little with their little coloring books. <laughs> right. I love yeah. that. 
I yeah, love that they have the, 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 the money and the resources to do that. Mm-hmm. Whereas all of us little solitary tiny covens do not have these kind of resources. So I'm glad that someone's out there doing that. Mm-hmm. Just keeping things real. Hi, it's Wendy. I have a request to uh, you who are listening to this podcast right now. Uh, If you've got this podcast through your iTunes player or iTunes account or whatever, please, please, please give give us a review on iTunes. It helps us be seen by more people, uh, and we actually want to know what you think. Um, Also, you could leave us a review on our Facebook page, or contact us in any way, tweet at us, or, you know, uh, comment on our Instagram page, or whatever. Um, We'd love to hear from you. Thanks. And now, a poem by Robin. Fallon, you were just seen taking sides with barroom swagger by summer boardwalk, smiling at the play party, surrounded and raptured, wearing white, becoming devout, speaking a new tongue. You were life all over just days ago. We saw you training for the race, holding court at the pagan potluck, Counting found change, you were a mentor, a nurturer, a father, mother, child, distant cousin. You were the international stage. Now we see you no longer. Sometimes the shock of ending. Always the ending. And so we hold on, believing cycles through birth or dirt, Some bit may touch again in a great Atlantic crest, our atoms and yours. We dance the desperate spiral, the memory of your voice, a shaman's rattle, desperate, shouting dark blue blood bombs. Why aren't we here, together, same side of this veil? And so we dance. What else to do but dance us into silky grace? We dance, we make song, we, in jet planes and trances, take the aerial view. Up and away, earth movements tiny and profound, and then we come down. We light a fire. We fix you supper. That was very powerful. Thank you. That was great. That was, thank you, Robin. Thank you. I'm crying right now. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Ah, it's yes, yeah. It, it's Samhain, um, and Robin's beautiful poem just brought back a whole lot of um, memories of one of my friends who passed this year, and yeah. the grieving is not over if, if it ever is. Um, and and uh, I guess what 
we'd like to do for those of you who are not uh, Wiccan or pagan or, you know, follow those kinds of uh, spiritual paths uh, to kind of explain what this holiday is for us because it's not, you know, it's not the dressing up in the candy um, and the zombies it's it, and the horror months and the scary stuff. It's uh, it's a time when when we uh, visit with the dead, and I guess that's kind of why the the regular the the non-pagan population um, gets gets with the creepiness because because death is a uh, is creepy to them and scary and and. It's uh, the it's the Celtic New Year, mm-hmm. Samhain, and and actually Samhain, which is spelled like it would if you're speaking American, it would say Samhain, um, but it's it's Gaelic, so it's pronounced Samhain. Um, it's really the day, literally between the pri- the previous year and the new year, because the the Celtic New Year is a three day period, so October 30th is the last day of the year. And November 1st is the new day of the new year, so October 31st is this day in between. And that, and that's why we say the veil between the two worlds of the living and the dead is the thinnest on that day. So we can commune with them and we can remember them and, and honor them in various ways. Yeah. And somebody and else say something. <laughs> sure, sure. And it's... You know, it's the end of the light time of the year and the beginning of the dark time of the year. So it's it's considered last harvest, and I think that's sort of metaphoric for for the death in a way. Um, So it's the time that we really take time to... I, I mean, I assess the whole year in a lot of ways, and I really try to remember people who have influenced me, who have passed in the in the current you know, the just past year and um, remember ancestors from along, you know, from all times really. Um, so it's a very solemn kind of time of, of um, reassessment and looking forward to renewal. So as much as it's mourning for me, it's also, um, it's kind of the most serious, like I love New Year's Eve, like I'm kind of like the I don't know, Queen of New Year's in some ways. I like having parties and everything and doing like the fun version of of looking toward the forward to the new year on January first. Um, but this one is like my most reverent cycle where I look into the new. And so um October thirty first is really remembering and reverence and uh divination. And then on November first it's a time to clean your house and do things that are sort of uh, symbolic or magical acts that help clear space for, for newness. And so I do a lot of that sort of thing on November 1st, which I, one of the, that's one of the rituals I really love around the year. Uh, you said that one of the rituals that you do during, uh, on November 1st is cleaning. Oh, yeah, yes. Um, cleaning and I don't know if people use, um, Florida water at all. That is, I guess it's a New Orleans tradition, but it's something that you put in your your um, mop water and you sort of clean and make 
just make space and it's it's like almost like smudging, but I like to do the house cleaning types of things. Mm. So it's uh-huh. like you know, you know, and it's um sometimes I get to it on November first, sometimes it doesn't happen, <laughs> but somehow <laughs> ritualistically, I I like to do that. It I do that like on a new Sara. Okay, I do that in the spring. Yeah, I, I mean that's more traditional for our culture now. I think it's yeah. spring cleaning. Um. Yeah, but it's also when I can open like the windows and the doors and sweep out all of the collected energy that you don't really want anymore. Right. So. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Both of you, both of you, when you're talking, it's really making me think a lot about our idea of death, too, and um, and that some people have a real problem with it. And I feel, though, that this is something that makes it easier, that, that death is a part of life, and there's the cycle. And I, that's, for me, that's what this, this um, holiday stands for, too, is the idea of um, death comes to us all, but, and we can celebrate with the ones who have gone and know that eventually... Will be there too. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, That's it's one just, of the things that has been really uh, powerful for me about paganism in general. That the cycle makes every part of the year and every part of life feel relevant and important in a way. Yeah. Um, I used to get a lot more winter depression before I celebrated around the the seasons, around the wheel of the year, and that's one thing that I've noticed really helps because there's a there's something to do. There's a there's a there's a time to be inward and a time to be uh, out in the world producing more and and um, being more active and then there's the introspection and I, I like I like that that helps keep balance and I think that's and, oh yeah and it it lets you know that it's okay to be introspective at a time right? exactly yep yep yeah. and I think that's really the reason why there's a festival of lights in just about every part of the world in different cultures and religions you know there's there's times to bring in the light when it's dark out and the sort of things following the seasons really makes sense in terms of how we've developed our our celebrations so for the people that don't know about about uh paganism or or wiccan um what kind of things do we do to celebrate the dead at this time well one of the things is we have a dumb feast and it's dumb as D-U-M-B, as in no talking, not as not dumb as stupid. <laughs> so everybody's very quiet. Nobody talks because what it, I at least at the ones I've been to, um, it's you are you're it's like a potluck for your dead friends and family. Um, you bring like favorite dishes of theirs. You make them plate. Uh, which actually kind of reminds me a little bit of um, the Jewish tradition I grew up in. You know, at, at Passover we make a plate for Elijah. You know, right. okay. So there's eat. an extra plate setting. Well, there's food on it. You know, he put yeah. food out for Elijah, and and um, so it it kind of it 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 triggered that part of my, you know, my, uh, my whatever, my spirituality, I guess, um, when, when I learned about the dumb feast, uh, kind of, it made sense in that way. You know, you're, you're feeding, you know, you invite 
your the people who have died in to the house or the into the circle and then we we'll eat they eat we hang out you know sometimes they talk to you sometimes not sometimes they'll give a message to somebody else that's happened to me i've been at a dumb feast and and somebody else said uh by the way so and so says blah 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 so uh, yeah i've i've oh. gotten messages from people um through a third party <laughs> in the past um and one of them was somebody I hadn't, who had died a really long time ago, and I hadn't thought about him in ages. And she just blurted out, you know, this guy says this. And I go, really? And she had no reason to under, who know who this person was. Hmm. And I hadn't mentioned his name, so that kind of freaked me out a little bit. But, you know, um, That's interesting. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a powerful time, you know. And I find a, a bit of a somewhat of a conflict in a way because I love I also really love Halloween. It's sort of like a, a weird caricature of Halloween, yeah. Ways, you know? But and and I love it. And there's always that tension of like, well, there's some amazing party going on. So do I bring my costume and go to that later, or do I do? And sometimes I mean, I really wind up just celebrating Halloween and leaving that alone for the most part because it's. I just want to be in that space, and then if there are parties that are happening on a day that we're not doing salon, then I'll go to those because I've tried in the past to kind of split the time and do all these things, and and you know it's 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 difficult. And I know that sometimes for you, Wendy, you have a lot of kids coming. Yeah. To your house. Well, I mean, what ends up happening? <laughs> yeah. Whatever. What ends up happening is somebody in the house is going to play the role of doorman and and they don't really participate in the ritual and they'll just be answering the door for the kids. And I miss, I actually like interacting with my neighbors and giving kids candy. I like that. And I also love dressing up and it's at least maybe this year it's on a Wednesday. So like the grown up parties are going to happen on the weekends, like the Halloween parties. Mm-hmm. They're going to probably happen the weekend before this, this show airs. So there's the opportunity for us to do both if we wanted, because Wednesday, you know, Samhain is a Wednesday this week or this year. And uh, so if I, if I start my serious ritual, like maybe by 8 o'clock, that's when the trick-or-treaters are pretty much done in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. really by 9. But by 8, it's really tapered off a lot. Um, yeah. So that And I like will... coming to your house for ritual because <laughs> no one... Kids don't come to my house anymore. It's just sort of the well, way. Well, you're you're. It's like you need like like mountaineering gear to get into your house. <laughs> you're, you're kind of in in the country. Too. What does that mean? I don't live that far out in the wilderness. No, I'm not t- talking about. I'm talking about Mary's steep driveway. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I thought I didn't realize. I was talking about going to Mary's house for Sawa, not Robin's house for. Um, oh, 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 yeah, yeah. No, but I yeah. but I think kids don't really come here anymore because there are bigger neighborhoods that are built up now that they just stay there because it's more centralized. And uh, so I yeah. feel a little bad. I'm like, they, you don't come to a real witch's house on Halloween. Like, <laughs> that's bad. Well, you're, but it, yeah, your street, your houses are pretty far apart, so it, they're probably weighing the uh, the walking the candy per per mile. Yeah, right? yeah. Oh, very good candy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to give it out full nice bars, then you right. then you get your your trick or treaters. So, 
But the only thing is, I've just defaulted to going to your place and doing rituals. Well, they have apps now, apparently, that you can (laughs) put down. No, they have apps, and you can put down if your house is giving out candy or whatever. In the app, do they tell who has the best candy? I have no idea. I just know these apps exist. I have not downloaded them to my phone because I don't care because I'm not trick or treat. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so to any everyone who's celebrating Fallon, have a blessed Fallon and uh, and happy Halloween to the rest. Happy Halloween. Hello, this is Robin Renee. You can find me online at robinrenee.com. And my music is on iTunes, CD Baby, Pandora, Spotify, and elsewhere around the web. So check it out. And you can like me at facebook.com slash robinreneefan. Tweet at me at spiritrocksexy. And follow me on Instagram at robinreneemusic. I would love to hear from you. The Leftscape is sponsored by Harlequin and Other Fantasies, a meditative coloring book for grown-ups. Over 30 original illustrations to color, printed on 80-pound cover stock paper to avoid bleed-through with alcohol-based markers like Sharpies. Spiral-bound to lay flat when open. Printed on one side so you can frame your masterpiece without sacrificing another drawing. Subjects include animals, people, mandalas, steampunk, Celtic knotwork, and so much more. Use Leftscape at checkout to get free shipping. See the Leftscape website for details. Purchase Harlequin and other fantasies from wendycards.com. We usually record our show on Tuesday, the week before our show airs. Since that's election day, we will be recording a special election update on Wednesday, so next week's show will not drop until Thursday, November 8th. Go vote and go bring your friends and family. Um, we talked about Samhain. We were just talking about Samhain and talking about how it's it's the time. Uh, I like the way you said that the three days of the 30th is the last day of one year and that the first is the um, first day of the other year and then the 31st is the the veil between the two years and it's also the, the veil between the two uh, planes um, uh, spiritual planes, which seems to be considered a good time to do divination. So we're going to try and do that. Yeah, we uh, we're going to do some divination. Um, each we're not we're not physically in the same location right now, so we each have done um, a little bit of of divining. I I'm using um, my runes. Uh, these are Viking runes that certain supremacist organizations keep trying to co-opt, which really pisses me off. Um, Because the runes themselves are not that way. They are just runes. They're they're wisdom from from Odin who, you know, was hanging on a tree and blind, so he came back with this wisdom of these runes. Um, And there's I have a little bit of a story about these runes, and so I keep babbling about this. my grandfather and I, when I was maybe 10, planted a tree in the backyard where we were, you know, of our house. 
uh, I think we, we were out in the forest and we dug up a sapling and we took it back to our yard and planted it. Um, and then 20, 30 years later, I'm back at the house and um, there's kind of a branch that's dead and I cut the branch off of this tree that, <clears throat> that my, grandpa- my granddad and me planted and, um, and then I sliced it up into little discs and then I burned the runes onto the discs and burned my hand, uh, which is apparently a significant thing when you're doing magical workings. If you accidentally like hurt yourself or shed blood on the thing, it makes it more powerful. So yay, I guess. Um, (laughs) So I have this set of runes that I use very rarely because they are uncannily accurate and I get scared. I don't want to know all the time. So um, I pulled three runes from the bag and, um, they were uh, Awaz, which looks like an M, which means um, movement and sharing of things and, uh, and slowly progressing in a positive direction. And, that's, um, and I did a three-rune spread, I guess, which the first rune is kind of giving you where you are right now, and the second rune is... Um, kind of the things that are happening immediately that will bring about a future. Um, and the second rune I pulled out was Wunjo reversed. Uh, Wunjo is joy. It looks like a P, kind of. Um, and and in the re- its reversed meaning kind of indicates that there's a crisis at hand, like right now, and that, that you need to be dealing with that. And in the future... Uh, was Uruz, which is the wild ox, um, which looks like a kind of an, like an up, a funky upside down U. It's leaning a bit, and um, that one's a little scary because that's in the in the future position. Um, it does say new beginnings, but it's also like an opportunity after a loss. And I wasn't doing anything for me in particular. I was kind of just doing just a general reading of like everything. So I'm going to say this is a cautiously optimistic prediction. And next week we'll tell. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I use my tarot cards, but uh, I have to explain what kind of cards they are. I'm just trying to pick up the box. It's not having. Um, my particular cards are called the Shakespeare Oracle. Um, they're not the usual cards that you see. They are based on um, uh, the usual cards, but but they're let's see. This is uh, A. Bronwyn Llewellyn uh, created this this set and uh, based everything on Shakespeare. And um, there's uh, paintings or illustrations by Cynthia von Buhler. Um, but I, I find this just very interesting because I am into Shakespeare, in case you haven't picked that up yet. But um, <laughs> I, I'm really into Shakespeare because I, I do think that Shakespeare was very insightful about the archetypes and human psychology and spiritual things. And... Uh, I, I could easily, if I, if I had the time, put together a whole thing on spirit, 
spiritualism and Shakespeare and and uh, a, a self-help book. I, I think Shakespeare was the original self-help book too, because uh, but he he uh, wound it all up in in one saying in Hamlet is nothing is good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Now you don't have to read a book. You just got that. <laughs> <laughs> you should write that though. That's that's really brilliant. Yeah. But uh, so when I did the the spread that I did, and this is not going to take long, so people don't have to get scared. It's a three card <laughs> spread. It's like a, like a a play that has the first act, second act, third act, three act. And the first act I pulled a card for. And that would be the status quo or what, what is going on, um, what is going on right now. And the card that I picked was Puck. And Puck is the devil. Puck is the, the low key, the, the trickster, um, and causes lots of trouble. And that's what we're in right now. Somebody causing a lot of trouble. However, because it's Puck as opposed to the devil, um, it's it's trouble that can be gotten out of. So and oh and I should say too that my reading how I feel is I I was pulling this for myself but also it seems to apply to the world at large. So yes, the world at large is being bedeviled by Puck right now, and a puckish figure who uh, does crazy things just for the fun of it. He likes to see people in trouble. Um, we know where that's going. So the second act is, um, what's going on, uh, what, what we can look to and hope to, what we need to work on. And this one is Valentine, the Lord of Chalices. And chalices usually are a good thing. Um, Valentine is also a character that I'm less familiar with than any of the others. Uh, I, I've directed 20 different Shakespeare plays, but Two Gentlemen of Verona I have not done. Valentine is from Two Gentlemen of Verona. So I'm going to refer to the book that comes with this. And he talks about Valentine or the Lord of Chalices as a poet and an idealist young man and um, that he's very emotional, that he doesn't shy away from his emotions and um, it looks like uh, Valentine's servant notes how he has been metamorphosed with a mistress so uh, he's in love uh, so that that tells me that you know I'm, I'm going to have to ponder this some more but just in this quick my first reaction to this is that a lot of emotional stuff is going on, but not necessarily bad. And and also he's idealist, so uh, it tells me too that we have to keep our ideals in mind and uh, work on our poetry. But the final card that I thought was really cool—that's that's where we get to the the climax and the denouement of the play, which the the card that I picked was the magician who is Shakespeare. And the book says that the magician is the communicator, creator, achiever, and shapeshifter. 
and drawing upon his wisdom and determination, he commands the forces of the universe and shapes them into a new reality. So we're going to get a new reality at the end of the play. So I, I like to end on that note. As long as the new reality is better than the current reality. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. That is cool. That is true. So I have the Aquarian Tarot deck. It's um, based on the Rider Waite deck that it looks. It would look familiar to a lot of people if you have an idea of like what the standard Tarot deck looks like. Although it's um, it's intended specifically for intuition. So um, you know what you read in the book about it is is about each card is good, and then you're really encouraged to develop your uh, intuition about each card, which is true of every tarot card, really, but um, this deck emphasizes that. Um, so my reading starts out with the Queen of Pentacles, and that is a card that has been showing up often as sort of my signifier card, as sort of who I am right now, and it's about, um, it's about being devoted to family, and I guess for me it would be, you know, my, my larger community circle, and um, being active in the community, actually. Um, so it's it's also about uh, being independent and um, dealing with your own finances and being in, in, in control in that way. And I really take it as uh, writing letters, perhaps, also, and, and communication. So it might be um, me reaching out to someone uh, something like that. And my reading was, I, I was thinking a lot more personally, um, but I think there's always, can also be resonance with the, you know, the world at large. Uh, the next one was The Hanged Man, which is really a card about transformation, and it's also, um, what would you say, it, it can be about someone being lost, like really um, stuck in limbo and not quite knowing which way to go, or, or being in, suspended, really not able to, to act just yet, and being in a place of um, just uh, waiting for the next thing to happen, and, and also going through something that will create something new at the end of that experience. Um, and the third card is the Seven of Pentacles, which Kind of, it's um, it's encouraging in the sense that all of the waiting and transformation, you get the sense that something is in fact growing. You see the pentacles like on a a bush, and someone's sort of standing by, maybe patiently, maybe less than patiently, but they are um, knowing that something um, fruitful is growing, and something that is uh, sustaining is growing. So. I get the sense of, as this pertains to relationship, which I think it might be for me, it's um, sort of says that you I you have to wait longer than I want to, but that things are brewing in a productive way, ultimately. Um, okay. it could also, yeah, it could also have to do with creativity or, um, you know, larger things that are, that are happening on the planet, maybe. Um, although that wasn't my my initial thought about the reading. And the other interesting thing is that as I was shuffling, the six of rods fell out of the deck, which I usually take as, okay, maybe that's 
should be read also. And that is it's someone on a horse riding kind of triumphantly. There's uh, the six rods, and there's a, one of the, the rods they're holding has a like a wreath on it. And it's a way of it's a card of of triumph and of travel and of moving in a in a positive direction. So I get that's also what gives me the sense that the reading is ultimately it's a there's positivity coming and it's just uh you know it's taken a while so that's how mm-hmm. I read that I liked listening to your your discussion about the hangman and I was just wondering uh, who in my deck is the hangman and I thought it must be Hamlet and I was right it was Hamlet uh, <laughs> I, I think that really fits I, I think uh, all of the readings are actually kind of similar which yeah, is, I, I find uh, that interesting. Yeah, it's scary. <laughs> um, I also, uh, since we're just talking about tarot in general, I just wanted to point out that the artist for the Rider weight deck, like it's a standard beginner deck, um, is a woman, Pamela Coleman-Smith, whose name shows up there, but what they never ever say is that she's a, a black woman. And and that little fact has been um, downplayed for a very, very long time. And um, I have to start remembering to call the deck the Ryder Waite Smith deck because, you know, her artwork is the thing that evokes all of the, you know, the artwork is, is one of the most important parts of the deck. You know, Absolutely. the... the Writers come up with the meanings. It's like, yeah, you need to put this little lobster on there, but the artist is the one that interprets that. And, um, you know, and I, I think she's been ignored for far too long. So Yeah, I had no idea. Thank you for that. That's uh, now yeah, her well, name on the deck when you buy it. Do you see any sort of reference to the artist? Yeah, and, it's on the back okay. of the box. You know, it says, uh, and, and and I'm looking at a, a Medium article about this uh, that I guess we could put a link on our page. Um, the Rider Tarot deck, known also as the Weight Tarot and the Rider Weight Tarot, the original and only authorized edition of the famous 78 card tarot deck designed by Pamela Coleman Smith. Hmm. So, so right away, were the publishers of the thing? Well, Wait was uh, the un, he's the art director, I guess. You know. Oh. Um, so he he told her what to draw, and she drew it. Yeah. Hmm. But uh, yeah, she's uh, she's the she's like she's the artist of that, and and uh, the fact that that they downplay her race is. I find interesting in a, in a bad way. Um, yes, and also... And that she was just treated woman. like sort of the assistant and not... Right, yeah. It, creator. Well, yeah, yeah. She's, number one, she's a woman. Number two, she's a woman of color. So, yeah, let's, let's just ignore her contribution because, mm. you know... Yeah. yeah, it's like that. It's like the woman who discovered, like, the composition of the, of the, of the universe. I think it was the hydrogen stuff and, and her... Her faculty advisor said, oh, don't worry about that. That's bullshit. And then, like, three years later, he publishes that stuff under his name. You know? Yeah. Uh, it makes me <sighs> That's a show in and itself. I was thinking Watson and Crick was the, uh, the form of DNA, and there was a woman in their lab that 
played a yes. uh, an important role too. So uh, yeah. yes, you know what? That that is a whole other show, which right. we'll have. To. <laughs> we'll put that down on our uh, our list. You've been listening to the Leftscape podcast. Find us online at leftscape.com, on Twitter at Leftscape, and on Facebook at Leftscape. The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. New episodes every Wednesday.